So today, as we've been saying for quite some time, we're starting uh, a marriage series. You may ask the question, why? Why a marriage series? Well, let me just say this. Over the last three, maybe four years, Doreen and I have been living in somewhat, Doreen's my wife, living in somewhat of a a state of shock about the havoc that we have been seeing and witnessing in the lives and marriages of people very close to us. Talking about our family, we're talking about our church, uh, we're talking about just people that we just love and care about. I've been astounded to see how many people are genuinely struggling. Like not just having a little fight here and there, not figuring out how to work out the issues, but I mean like a constant abiding struggle to stay together. Just a a real wrestling and a a struggle in their marriage. And the truth is, it's been constant. It's been relationship after relationship. It's been marriage after marriage, family after after family, and it's intense. Some of you may be experiencing that yourselves. So when you ask the question, why a marriage series, surely uh, for us as a church, it's in response to what we have been seeing. You know, maybe it's the mid to late 30s stage where people are uh, 10 years in and they're having Marital issues, have got a couple of kids, they've established their norms, and the wheels begin to fall off. I don't know. But whatever the case may be, we feel compelled as a church to respond. We can't be silent. We can't do nothing about what we're watching and seeing. Something needs to be done. The truth needs to be told, and people need hope, and they need help. But not only that, we feel compelled to teach on marriage because based on just what it is, it's the foundational and fundamental just relationship that it is and the role that the church plays in declaring truth and equipping people no matter where we are, even if we're single, even if we're a 12-year-old boy just trying to figure out what this is all about, no matter where we are, this is a relevant issue. This is an important crucial topic for us. So, uh, you know, this isn't just about having a cute series to put out on Facebook to get people to show up. That has nothing to do with it. It's really an attempt to help. It's really a calling, a conviction that we have as a church that we cannot ignore. We must react and we must be proactive to make sure that people are prepared for what this thing is called marriage. That's why we're doing this. You say, well, what do you call a marriage series? Well, I'll never forget, a, about six months ago, six, eight months ago, uh, we were having one of those days as a family. If you have a family, you know what that means. Everybody woke up on the wrong side of the bed today. Some of you are there today. Right? Kids are grumpy. Parents are impatient. And no matter what's going on, there's finger-pointing, blaming. Everybody seems to be fighting today. 
And, you know, maybe we're the only ones, but every once in a while there's a little mazy drama going on. That was one of those days. There was some exhaustion, some, some pain, some hurt, some things said that shouldn't have. And we just finally said, forget it, let's just go take a walk. And I'll never forget uh, this time at all. It was in the midst of this season where we were watching so many people around us hurting and needing help, and we found ourselves having one of those moments ourselves. We're walking down this path at the Erie Canal, and I'll never forget kind of following the family in a disappointed with myself. Like, I'm not the father that these kids need. How many of you have been there? I'm not the husband that my wife needs, right? That, that there's, this, there's this sense of just disappointment and exhaustion, and we're walking down this path, and I'm looking ahead, and I'm seeing Doreen, I'm seeing the three kids, and, and, and for whatever reason... A, a way to, to, to kind of illustrate the truth of the Word of God, the Spirit just began to, to minister to me. And I began to see three young children, they're different genders, different ages, different heights, weights, the whole bit, different spots on the trail. And yet we're headed in the same direction. Right? We're, we're at different spots on the journey. We're all dealing with different struggles and sins and the flesh is eating at us in one way or the other, if that makes any sense. But yet, there was this wonderful truth that even though we were in the midst of the struggle, we were walking on the journey, we were on the same path, and we were headed in the same direction. And I'll never forget that. Together, we were moving toward Christ. By His grace... For his glory, we were together in this mess called human existence, and we were heading toward our destiny. That is Christ himself. And that for me became a, a, a way of understanding how I'm relating to my wife and how I'm relating to my children. That yes, it's not going to be perfect. Yes, we're at different places on the journey. Yes, we're struggling with different things. But the fact of the matter is, because of the grace and the faithfulness of God, we are together, and we are heading toward Christ. And so thus, this is our title for the series. Together, toward Christ. A journey. No matter where we are in the room today, no matter where our struggles are, I think we could take an immediate and instant hope right now that we're together in this, and we're heading toward Christ only on the basis of His faithfulness and grace toward us. God will bring us where he wants us to be. So even before we open the scriptures, hear that hope that based on the grace and the faithfulness of God, he will bring us where he wants us to be, Christ. But as we consider our destiny, we need to go back to the beginning. We need to see where this journey started. And I'm not talking about when you first had those butterflies in your stomach when you looked at your spouse. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about way back to the beginning when we see the opening pages of Scripture reveal how marriage started and what really marriage is all about. And I wonder today that as we go back to the start, if there's some of you here today that need a fresh start. That as we start this marriage series, and as we open up the scriptures, we need the Lord to give us a fresh start. That's my hope today. 
So grab your Bibles, Genesis chapter 2. I'm going to read verses 18 through 25. We're going back to the beginning. We're going back to the start. We're going to see what marriage is all about in the hopes that a fresh start will be given to us by God in His Word. We ready for this? That's good. Let's open up the Word, to, word of God together. Uh, Genesis 2, 18 through 25 says this. And the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Now, out of the ground, the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all the livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, because she was taken out of man. Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother, and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked, and were not ashamed. This is the word of God, and all of God's people said, Amen. Amen. I don't know what your favorite show is. Maybe you have a couple favorite shows. Well, uh, maybe there's one or two that you don't want to admit that you enjoy watching to other people. Well, here's the one that I feel a little geeky and dorky about. Okay, so I'm going to just go out there and tell you. One of my favorite shows to watch is This Old House. Come on, man. Come on, right? This old house is like, it comes on, I'm like, yes! This old house is on. <laughs> and Doreen's like, oh, brother. One of my favorite segments, uh, and I'm going to illustrate it a little bit for you in the show. Okay, it's the what is it segment. Do you guys know what I'm talking about? You know what they do? Like the four guys, right? They, they have this little tool or contraption that they have. That they're basically saying, trying to get everyone to guess and say this funny little thing about what this contraption or tool is. Okay, so we're going to do that together. Are you ready? Okay, let's do it. Okay, well, here's my little tool contraption here. Okay? So, does anybody know what is this? What is it? Don't guess. Are you sure? I don't think so. No, that's not it. Here's what it is. It's a, a potato peeler, right? You just kind of roll this thing around, and you just kind of... What do you think? Grandma, you're the expert on peeling potatoes. Is that going to work? No? 
okay, well maybe, you know what, I think I know actually what it really is, and I need a volunteer. Why nobody? <laughs> yeah, back scratcher. Joe, come on. We're going to scratch your back. What do you think? No, I was going to rip your shirt and you got potato on it. Okay, so, so it's not a back scratcher. All right? How many of you got aching feet? Maybe, maybe this would work. I think that would work, right? You kind of just put it underneath, maybe a little bit, and do one of these. You want to try that too, Joe? What do you think? Imagine if I really use this as a back scratcher for Joe. What would happen to his clothes and probably his back? It would tear him to shreds. How about if you put it under your foot? Ouch. Same result. See, this indeed is, what is it, Joe? I'm removing wallpaper. The truth is we've been doing that for two weeks at the new place. So, Right? That's what it is. It's for moving wallpaper. And by the way, it works, especially when you're using some vinegar and a steamer. Here's the whole point. If we don't know what marriage is, if we come to marriage and we're confused about the nature of it, we begin to use it in a way that it was never meant to be used, we cause damage. We cause pain. We cause hurt. And the truth is, all the conversations that I've had with people who are struggling, the root issue, 99 times out of 100, no matter how many times they say, Mike, just help us figure out this particular situation. Or, or please, help us to communicate better. We need seven principles of communication. No matter how many times they just want the simple, quick seven steps, principles to a healthier, perfect, satisfying marriage, 99 times out of 100, the root issue is they don't know what it is. There's a misconception about the nature of marriage. And so for us, I, I think it's important that we start there and recognize that maybe, maybe even subtly, we are um, posturing ourselves towards our spouse, or maybe even as a, as a, 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 a single person aspiring to marry, we're coming at it with a completely skewed and distorted understanding, and if we continue to do so, we will continue to cause pain, hurt, and have much difficulty in our relationship, especially marriage. So we turn to the beginning. To know what something is, you have to go back to the origin of it. You have to go back to the start of it to truly understand. So here we are in chapter 2, verse 18 through 25, and we see that this is kind of after God has made everything in the universe, including man. And God continues to act, right? He says this, it's not good that the man should be alone. That's an important wake-up call for us as we read that. You see, over the last chapter and change, we have seen God do something, create something, and then conclude, this is good. God did this, and God saw this, and it was good. But now, all of a sudden, he looks at this particular man, and he says, this is not good that a man should be alone. 
It's not good. When we hear time and time again that something is good, and then we hear the Lord look at a situation and say, this is not good, that should get our attention, shouldn't it? This is not good that man should be alone. And he goes on to say, I will make a helper fit for him. Why is it not good? Well, if you turn a page back, you'll see that God made man in the image of himself after his own likeness. Verse 26, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. So he he created man in his own image. And if you look at the phraseology, he says, let us. And for for throughout the church, we've understand this to be the first sign that there is a, a trinity, a, a plurality, a interdependency that exists in the Godhead. That there is a three in one. And so if he's going to make man in his image, there has to be some way to see that on display in his relationship. So he looks at man and says, hey, I've made all these other creatures and they have... Uh, compliments, right? They have one that is like them. But when I look at man and what I've done and how I've made him, there is no one like that for him. So this is not good, especially because man represents me. That there is in the Godhead a loving community before the foundation of the world. And so to make man in his image is to make man to begin to live in loving community. And so God sees something that's not good, and he begins to do what only God can do. When something is not good, only God can make it good, right? And he says he's going to do it, and that's exactly what he does. He's going to make a helper fit for him. And when we hear that word, especially if you're a woman, especially if it's 2016, we begin to think that the word helper is less than, don't we? That that man is going to have someone inferior to him. We don't like the term helper. But if we understand what God is saying here, that that I'm going to make a helper fit for him, we have to understand that to be a helper is an indispensable partner required to achieve the divine commission, as one scholar put it. That is... Man needs the woman to be able to fulfill his calling and his mandate. This helper is indispensable. That really, the helper is a term that is often used throughout the scriptures as a term for God himself, who is the helper of his people. That really, this helper is a representation of the very nature of God. And this woman is equal in worth and value and dignity and is indispensable to the mission and the calling that has been placed on the man's life. So for no, please do not for any way, man, believe this or woman, believe that this is about being inferior to a man. Absolutely not. This is about being equal in value, worth, and dignity, and it's about being fit, complementing in, in, in a way that no other creature could to carry out God's purposes as a representation of the very help 
that the Lord gives his people. This is a wonderful thing that we see taking place. So understand this husband. Understand this wife. You need each other. Marriage is about need for one another. It's about recognizing that God has a calling and a plan for marriage, a mission in marriage, what we're going to talk about in future weeks. The only way you're going to accomplish that is an interdependent relationship with other people. It's not good to be alone. That God has made marriage what it is, and that's what he's doing. He's bringing together equals to help one another to obey the Lord with joy. Marriage, therefore we understand it, is ultimately not about us. It's not about you. That there's a divine purpose behind it. And together, God has brought us so that we might fulfill that command. So the Lord God said, it's not good. And then he says, I'm going to make a helper. And how does he do it? Right, the Lord God had... uh, Now out of the ground the Lord God had formed every beast of the field, verse 19, every bird of the heavens, and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was his name. The man gave names to all livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. But for Adam there was not found a helper fit for him. So, verse 21, the Lord God caused. You see, I'm seeing a pattern. The Lord God is saying something. He's taking the initiative. And now the Lord God is causing something. And and he caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, he took one of his ribs and closed it up with his flesh. With flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman. See, the Lord is the source of this. We have to see that. That it is the Lord that has made marriage what it is. This is not some uh, man-made social institution. That marriage is the creation of God. God makes marriage what it is. The bringing together of a man and a woman. The bringing together of a husband and wife. And we see how he did it. He causes the man to fall asleep. He takes one of his ribs, closes it up. And from that rib, he he took from the man, he made into a woman. The Lord is making men, the Lord is making women, and the Lord is making marriage. This is not some man-made creation and institution. This is a divinely ordained in creation of God himself. The implications of that are staggeringly important. And it seems so elementary as we hear it. But in today's society, it's the last thing that we see and it's the last thing that we hear as people talk about marriage. That this is something God has made. But we see, as we go back to its origin, that that's exactly what it is. God has made man and woman and God has made marriage what it is. I want you to sit on that. I want you to think about that. Its its implications are staggeringly important. And I just continue to see the Lord acting. He he makes 
the woman, and he brings her to the man. If you've ever been at a wedding, you know that powerful moment where the doors fling open and the organ hits a different tune. And it's the bride and the father, and the husband is you know, shaking in his knees a little bit up front. And yet, it's because of the beauty and the glory of the bride, and yet at the very same time, any good man that's up front recognizes what is about to take place, that the father is proceeding down the aisle and is about to present his daughter to you, for you. And we see here that in this moment, the Lord making a woman and proceeding, if you will, and presenting to the man the first bride. This is the Lord's doing. It's what he has done. It's his heart. It's his plan. It's not about what we have done. This is something he is doing with marriage. Not, that cannot be said enough. Cannot be overstated. That marriage is the doing of God, as John Piper says. It's the doing of God. Write that down. So many of us think like, your marriage is something you have done ultimately. A decision that you have made. A dream and a goal that you have set and you're carrying it out. But we see here that at the origin of marriage, that it was not us. It was the living God making marriage for his glory and for our joy. That together we might partner to carry out his purposes and obey his commands in the world. That's what marriage is. A bringing together of a man and a woman. And what does the man say? It's like any man that sees the bride. Yes! Yes! Right? Okay, any of you do that when the door's flung open at your wedding? Maybe not physically, but inside. <laughs> You're pretty excited. And if you didn't, there's something wrong, right? There's a joy. There's an excitement. There's a, there's a fulfilling nature to that. There's a finality. Yes, finally, at last, this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. And he names her. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. What, what Adam is saying in this moment is that we're, we're of the same essence. We're the same. We're different. Man, he doesn't call her man, he calls her woman, they're different. But this is bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. He's saying, we come from the same source. God made me in his image, God made you in his image. We're different, but we're of the same. And he's excited about that. Because everything else that he's seen and named, he's not had that kind of connection and, and affiliation with. But there's something unique about this a husband and wife relationship that's exciting to the man. Yes! This is wonderful. It's a joy. And we see ultimately that marriage is a covenantal relationship. Look at verse 24. A man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. What is going on there? Well, in simple terms, this is language of covenant. This is a language of covenant. See, the, the primary obligation of a man 
prior to marriage in this culture was to his mother and father. But when marriage takes place, something happens. There's a shift in priority. There's a shift in focus. There's a shift in allegiance. There's a leaving of the father and the mother and the the cleaving to the wife, the holding on to with every ounce of his love and his being. There's a shift in priority. That word is literally to glue oneself to another. It's glue. Hold on. Attachment. So we see it's not just a a bringing together of man and woman, but really marriage is a binding together of a husband and a wife through covenant. A binding. This one flesh union that only God can make and create. And this marriage relationship is unlike any other relationship for us to know and enjoy in this world. This covenant marriage. This binding together of man and woman, husband and wife, and covenantal relationship. The scriptures teach that. Proverbs, in the book of Malachi, that the marriage is a covenant. And that language of leaving and cleaving is is covenantal language. Write that down. My marriage is a covenant. It's very foundational and important. And that's why Jesus says what God has joined together, binding, what God has joined, let man not separate. That this unique relationship is a binding one. It brings as Matt Chandler's title of his book says, a mingling of souls united as one. Andreas Kostenberger says, marriage is far more than a human social contract. It is a divinely instituted covenant. Write it down. My marriage is a covenant. So important today. Especially because typically as we approach all relationships and even marriages, I think we often approach them with with two different mindsets. One that Tim Keller in his book points out pretty poignantly and clearly, and another that Gary Chapman points out in his book on marriage. The first mentality that we have in relationship is built on the foundation of this, that the most important thing in the world is me. That my personal needs are center to everything. My own self-fulfillment and self-actualization. That my momentary joy is the most important thing to me in this world. You see, many of us approach marriage like we approach ordering a latte at Starbucks. With conveniences and with options and with uh, um, just preferences. That Tim Keller points out that so often we approach relationships, including marriage, as consumers. We're consumers. Right? We've minimized and underestimated the profound effect that the consumer culture has had on everything that we do. Right? We're consumers. How many times a day do you think about something that you need to consume? For your own immediate satisfaction. How many of us have an entertainment budget? 
I don't know if Jesus had one. I think Jesus had an entertainment budget. He'd be like, what? We're so consumers. And we approach marriage in that way. He says this, in contemporary Western society, the marketplace has become so dominant that the consumer model increasingly characterizes most relationships that historically were covenantal, covenantal, including marriage. Today, we stay connected to people only as long as they are meeting our particular needs at an acceptable cost to us. Ooh. When we cease to make a profit, that is, when the relationship appears to require more love and affirmation from us than we are getting back, then we cut our losses and drop the relationship. Is he overstating it? Me at the center drives the consumer relationship. I see it in the church all the time. I'm here to be fed. Yes, the word of God feeds and nurtures the soul. But when the mentality at church is I need to be fed, we got, we got it upside down. Covenantal relationships. So we go to marriage, it's all about me and my desires. That's primary. We're setting ourselves up for a mess, for hurt and pain and disappointment because we've missed it. Some of us are approaching marriage like this. I've got to confess to you, some of my most frustrating moments in our relationship are when I'm not getting what I want. That's consumerism. Right? When I feel like, man, I, I, you know, I vacuumed, I did the dishes up in there. Where's my love? One for me, another one for me, another one for me. Whew. When, you're just consumed with yourself. And it causes all the issues in my family. It's all, it always comes back to me. Um, no, it's... <laughs> No, I think I just recognize it. I think that's the poison that messes with our families. And one wise person said, as he stared at a camera, he said, the wisdom I have is it's, you got to stop with the me. And it's got to be about the we. Stop with the me. It's about the we. Consumerism will kill your marriage. Gary Chapman calls it a contract, is contra-covenantal, right? See, with a contract, you go with it with a conditional mindset. If this happens, then I will do that. If I do this, then you will do this. Some of us are in contractual marriages. We have a give-and-take love, which... You know, in some ways that's understandable, compromise, give and take. But if that's the foundation of your relationship, it's twisted, it's distorted, and it's going to set yourself up for disappointment, and it's, it's misconstrued. That's not marriage at all. Marriage is not a, a if-this-then-that kind of relationship. Think of the vows, right? Will you promise to do this? And you're looking at the minister, which really you're recognizing that there's a vertical aspect, as Keller says, to your covenant. And you're making a commitment before you even tell your spouse the vows. The vows show that this is not an if, this, then this. That it's a promise to do something no matter what. 
that a covenant is unconditional, built on a promise, that in sickness and in health, till death do us part, as long as we both shall live, I promise to do this. That's what a covenant is. Right? A, a contract says that I'm entering into this relationship because I believe I can get something from it. But a covenant built on the steadfast love of God says I'm in this relationship because I want to promise to give myself to it. That's what a marriage is. It's not a consumeristic relationship. It's not a contract. It is a covenant. Marriage is a covenant. And that's what God is doing. He's in covenant relationship. God is making marriage what it is, and he's binding husband and wife together in covenantal relationship. That's what it is. That's what the nature of marriage is. And then you see the last verse, and the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Maybe I'm forcing truth here. You say what you want. But here's what I see. Commitment, covenant, union, then intimacy. Right? We like to reverse the order. We'll make a commitment and a covenant if we feel some sort of puppy love, intimacy connection. And if that connection is lost, then I'm out on the covenant. But really what we see taking place here is that intimacy is the fruit of a covenant commitment. True intimacy is the fruit of promise, right? Passion fueled in a marriage is the fruit of promise. It, it provide, the covenant, the promise you make provides a context for true passion and joy, for true intimacy. Without attaching that passion to a promise, there's so much vulnerability for it to be immediately removed. Do you see that? We have that cart before the horse mentality where we want intimacy first before promise. And if the, if the intimacy is lost, then the promise is null and void. But that's not what marriage is at all. God has made marriage what it is. It is a binding together of a husband and wife in covenant relationship. And the fruit of that is intimacy. But I recognize that many of us here today are not there. There's struggles. That we've not really considered our vows and what they say about our marriage and what we set out to do originally. Some of us are started off well, but over time we've kind of lost our way and we've been derailed in living out what marriage really is and we begin to live in a consumeristic way. What have you done for me? Where's my personal satisfaction? Where are my needs? How come they're not getting met? Or you're living in the constant give and take, conditional Back and forth, I'm happy I'm not, I'm happy I'm not, based on what somebody else is doing or not doing in your marital relationship. Some of you today need a fresh start. I want to turn your attention to the screens. We're going to watch a video as we wrap this up. Listen to what 
Walt and Carolyn Eulig say about their start. And we'll see what God did in the midst of it. said it to us, but uh, I have to be honest and say, no, I, after that it was just gone, it was over, you know, I, it wasn't important in my life at that, at that stage, and I'm, you know, I get upset with myself because it wasn't. I think I'm... There was a time when I knew things were really bad and we weren't communicating. And did I ever think about actually walking out? No. But I knew that I was being a real burden to my husband. It became harder and harder. I, I, I was not a very good wife. My daughter took me to a different church, to, to the chapel. And I began to learn about relationships. And we began to find out what a Christian marriage was supposed to be. We had never been taught all those no. years what a marriage really was supposed to be or what it was to consist of. She and I were baptized together along with Michael, our grandson. We were all baptized the same day. And since that day, That's when, that's when I, I began to turn things around, as far as I'm concerned, our whole lives. I am totally grateful that the Lord did not allow us to split up. He used the bad for good because it brought us from really not having any communication with each other to healing our marriage. And that's why I say God was behind us. He was in control. You just have to learn to cope. Learn to cope. And say thank you, Jesus. Thank you for what you've done in our lives. And I see that day every, every single day. I'm thankful for what he's done in our lives. You see, Walt admit that as he entered into marriage, he didn't he said the vows, but he didn't really know what he was, never thought about it after that. Was, and the issues that came from that in their relationship. And yet in the midst of it, God showed up, right? That, that Christ became central to their relationship. They began to learn what marriage really was and what God's intentions were for it. And it radically changed their relationship and really the, their family. See, they got a fresh start. It was a mess along the way, but they got a fresh start from Jesus. And I want to give you that opportunity today. A fresh start with Jesus. A, a renewal of vows, if you will, with your spouse. 
to say, yeah, I promise, I'm going to do this. I said it, and I'm saying it again, right? that I'm giving myself to you, that uh, we will uh, seek the Lord together. We will help one another obey God. That's what our relationship was all about. If you want a fresh start today, you've come to the right place, you've heard the right truths, that it's really all in Jesus Christ. You know, if God can raise a dead man, he can raise a dead marriage. Amen? You look at that cross on the back wall, and you wonder, is there any hope? Talk about a symbol of hope, that a man was dead, and now the cross is empty, and so is the grave. He can raise a dead man, he can raise a dead marriage. We have to turn to him, and trust him, and see marriage for what he made it to be. God has made marriage what it is. It's a covenant. It's a binding together of husband and wife in covenant relationship. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we do give you praise for all you are doing. We know that we so easily can turn to one another as consumers. What's in it for me? We confess our sin in that regard that we just want something out of this. We don't want to give anything. Lord, we look to our spouses and marriages and other people as contractual. If you do this, I'll do that. So often, if that breaks down, we're out. And I just pray now that the resurrection power of Jesus would enter into the heart of every man, woman, and child in this room. They would understand the hope that you have for their marriage, that they can get a new start on the journey, that the, that the answer is not bail and get somebody new. It's that the answer is the Lord needs to make me new in this marriage. Lord, by your spirit, would you work in the hearts of men and women? Would you help them to see all that you have done in Christ? Help them to trust in his resurrection power and believe that as they recommit to you, your commitment to them is unchanging. Bless these people, bless these marriages, and be glorified in this series, we pray. In the name of Christ, amen.